What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football with a horse voice. It's uh, it's going to be a rough show tonight. For me, I'm going to stay out of the way mostly, let Melo and Connor do their thing. Uh, but I couldn't just sit by and watch you guys talk about all the great college football that we watched over the weekend. I had to jump in. So pretty much what every listener has just been looking forward to for the past year, me and Connor running the show. That's right. That is right. $100 handshakes college football goodbyes and we're not going to completely just shit on your favorite team we're going to put them down nice and easy and of course all your draft on draft questions but we are going to shit on our favorite team mellow the texas longhorns lose to oklahoma state we knew it was going to happen or felt like it was going to happen and there was a little bit of a comeback just enough to get our hopes up and then it crashed to the floor man when i walked in here today you asked me how i was feeling after that loss and honestly i saw it coming like as it was coming out of my mouth Thursday night when we recorded, I had a feeling that Texas was going to lose. I just couldn't pick against them. Going into Stillwater and playing there at night, it's almost like LSU. You're always going to get the best out of Oklahoma State at night, especially around Halloween. I don't know what it is about those guys, but if you play there around Halloween, they always bring it. And Texas had two guys suspended for not making it to a meeting on time, which I don't, I'm not buying that bullshit. I don't know what they did, but they got in some trouble and they couldn't play the whole first quarter. And I think that made a huge difference for the Texas Longhorns. No, you're right. And Stillwater on Saturday night, always tough. Some of the biggest comebacks in Texas football history have been there. So I think I got my hopes up, but it was just a, it was an ass kicking. There's no other way around it. And we almost saw an ass kicking because Mike Gundy and Tom Herman both ran onto the field. I would have loved to have seen it, but I want to know who you guys, are you taking the mullet or are you taking Tom Herman? And I know that I'm a Texas fan, so I'm a little, I'm a homer. I'm a little bit biased here, but I am not a Mike Gundy hater. I actually think that he's a pretty good coach there and I like what he's doing at Oklahoma state, but he didn't want anything to do with Tom Herman. That dude was pissed off. He was dropping the fuck you pointing at him, had to have the get back coach over there. Tom Herman would have destroyed him. I understand Oklahoma State won on the field. Tom Herman would have killed Mike Gundy Saturday night. Yeah, I don't think that's a crazy take at all. I mean, (laughs) when I think Mike Gundy is an absolute maniac. And that story that came out that he like kind of threatened reporters about what they can ask questions about and, and all that, like not my favorite story and not my favorite coach anymore, as funny as he is. But putting away all the bias, as you guys are saying, I, I thought Tom Herman looked like he was going to keep going if like four people didn't hold him back. And it was good to see them just kind of talk it over at the end of the game. And I think Herman wasn't really that pissed at Gundy. He just took out his frustration of the game out on Gundy as far as he could. Definitely, definitely. And then Mike Gundy comes out Sunday morning and talks about how Twitter is just bullshit and how it's only yep. for like unemployed people right. just sitting it's a at home. stupid take. Which he, they employ an entire media department to recruit players via Twitter. So Mike Gundy can get a fucking haircut for all I care. Uh, and just, it's just a dumb take. For the record, if Texas strength coach Yancey McKnight had gotten onto the field, he would have taken out Jesus. the entire Oklahoma State coaching staff. Yeah, he's by not himself. He's, he's a strength and conditioning coach, but he's not one of those five ten ripped out guys. He is, I would say, six four, six five. Looks like a biker, and we heard him tell some stories. No chance in hell I would ever fuck with that guy. Nope. The pride of Joplin, Missouri. Like he needs a sign here more than I do. Like Yancey's yeah. Yancey's the man. Uh, top ten shakeup, a big one. Not only did Texas lose, Ohio State gets back in the top ten now. And as you guys have noted here, a lot of the top teams lost. So it was, we were kind of stuck in our own world watching our team play, but 
there was a lot of just massive movement in the rankings because of all the losses we saw. We had 11 top 25 teams lose this past weekend, and that's not counting teams like Alabama and Michigan that were idle. We had 11 top 25 teams lose, and some of those were matchups against each other, but that's just ridiculous to have that many teams in your top 25 take a loss. And Kentucky barely held on. Yeah. I mean, Kentucky won on the last play of the game and and really didn't do much until the fourth quarter. So Mizzou gave that one away. That would have been a big one if the 11th ranked Kentucky team lost to that Missouri team who is just not shown a lot. And like you said, there was matchups here where teams lost, but, you know, an undefeated South Florida team lost and in really miserable fashion to Houston. There was a, there was shakeup across the board and Georgia, Florida, someone had to lose. Right. And I think it was disappointing for Florida. They're just not on that level of Georgia yet. But when you look at on the other side of it, it with Clemson, I mean, good Lord, Florida State, they got to figure this thing. <laughs> they're I, just a nightmare. I, I know the argument is, oh, Taggart doesn't have his players. They don't even look on. They don't even look like a Division One team. That's what I'm going to say right now. Yeah. That's my thought. And you talk about how coaches say this all the time. Their first years, like, oh, I don't have my players here. Well, you still have some pretty damn good players. You're there still in Florida, Florida State. State. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you were playing for national championships not that long ago. Their secondary has been very talented. Even with the loss of Derwin James, they've still got some guys out there that can play. So I don't think he can use that excuse, but he was correct on one thing. He had some dudes quit on him yesterday because they were not running down tackles. After they came out at halftime, they went for about two minutes and then just rolled over and let let Clemson kick the shit out of them. One thing I do want to touch on that wasn't in the rundown can we put to bed the Drew Locke as a round one quarterback talk? Round Finally, one? He's please. not even day two. 15 to 27. I know stats don't always tell the full story, but this is who he is. You play a good team, he sucks. You play Memphis, he'll throw over 350 and four touchdowns. But against Kentucky yesterday, he threw the ball 27 times for 165 yards and zero touchdowns. When he plays a team with any NFL defense, or NFL caliber defenders, he's not good. Yesterday completed 55% of his passes. Alabama was 50. South Carolina was 47. Georgia was 47. He is not good against good teams. I mean, Matt, you and I were talking about this, and I told you he reminds me of Brady Quinn. He's just a guy that everybody wants to see be successful. He looks the part. He throws a pretty pass if you don't watch where it goes. He looks like a starting quarterback. He's 6'4", 220. He's got a big arm. Everybody wants to make believe that he's this great prospect. He's just not doing it on the field. He has everything except for that on-the-field talent. Yeah, I'm with you there. It's it's very disappointing and not just a pile on Drew Locke because there's been plenty of guys like him in this class, whether it is Jarrett Stidham. I mean, Nick Fitzgerald has just bottomed out completely. We were wondering how he would look coming back from injury, and it's just there's a lot of quarterbacks in this class that simply are not pro-level starters, and that's not easy to do, but they were expected to be at the next level, and I, I personally don't see it. Speaking of another one, Justin Herbert, I I saw Arizona, what, eight days ago and could not believe I could believe it. But how bad UCLA and Arizona are right Right. to look like that against Arizona and you're going to be a top five pick. People keep asking me, they're like, you don't seem as high on Herbert. Where would you rank Herbert in last year's class? I, I just don't get it right. He's not a savior right now. Maybe he goes back. Maybe he polishes things up. Maybe he plays on a better team and gains more confidence and sees the field better and quicker. He, he reminds me so much of Mitch Trubisky. 
Like, I, man, I mean, he's, he's a little bigger. more gifted, but he's yeah. not as I don't think he's as smart yeah. right now. But it's that like kind of timid play. The game looks too fast at times. He he's late at times, and he he's a lot bigger than Trubisky. But similarly, a good athlete. The problem is he has he's had a lot more starts in college than Mitch had, and but he he still just looks behind way too often. And I, I've said it before, so I know people are gonna oh you're being a hypocrite. You can't scout a guy off one bad game. But for him, it is kind of getting to a Drew Locke area of, all right, man, anytime you play somebody decent, and Arizona's not good, by the way, but anytime you play someone decent, you you shrink from that competition a little bit. I, I'm just, I, yeah, it's concerning. I don't think he's ready to go be a top five pick and save the Giants. Well, and I don't, think it's fa- yeah. I don't think it's fair to him. That's my biggest issue with it. I don't think it's fair to him. No, and I think New York, I mean, we've said before, New York's not a good market for him. It does not fit his personality. Uh, he's going to, He's going to shrivel up under those lights. I mean, you can't cry in the huddle at Oregon and then go play for the Giants where the Daily News is going to have you on the back page every day if you don't perform well. Uh, speaking of big games, LSU-Alabama, I, I think it's probably the game of the year, at least up to this point. Uh, we're two weeks out, or one week out, excuse me. The line today just got announced as we're recording. Bama is a 14.5-point favorite which is shocking to me. This is a game, the number one team, Alabama, against the number four team, LSU, and Bama still favored by 14 and a half. Yeah, and I'm not buying into the game of the year hype. I know that everybody at ESPN and CBS, they're going to tell you this is going to be a great game. The odd makers, they have it right. This is not going to be a close game. Maybe we see two a play in the fourth quarter, but I still think I would take the points here. I think Bama will win by more than 15 points against LSU. Really? Yeah, hey, I me just, too. I, they, yep, me too. They're going to be clicking on all cylinders. They just came off a bye week with fucking Nick Saban. <laughs> like, good right. luck. Yeah. Like, the Cardinals couldn't roll into Alabama and win this game. <laughs> Here's the better question. Does, does Bama have a better chance of covering, or does Tua finally play in a fourth quarter for once? Gosh, I, I really could see him not playing in the fourth yes. quarter. Yes. Yeah, no. He, I mean, oh, man. Can, LSU, I love LSU. can LSU score on Alabama? Alabama has three potential first rounders on the D line. Quinn and Williams is probably a top 10 pick. And those are probably just the guys that are eligible. Like, right. if we really looked at their <laughs> underclassmen, you could probably say they have seven guys, would be my guess. With that, just yeah. top of my head, I bet they have seven defensive linemen that will get drafted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, on the roster. yeah. Maybe in the top I, three rounds. So. Yeah. Quinn and Williams, Raquan Davis, Deontay Thompson probably have a chance to all go top 15. Yeah. Mac Wilson can go at the end of round one. That's how good this defense is. Like Melo said, here's those are just the eligible guys. What's crazy? The coaches poll came out. Did you guys see this? So there's 62 coaches or 64 coaches vote. Two coaches voted Clemson number one. <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Dabo Sweeney and I don't know who else. Is Chad Morris. For. Probably yeah, somebody that's just pissed off at Nick Saban. Probably um, uh, what's his Kiffin down at FAU. Probably Jesus, it's amazing. So, like Melo said, eleven of the top twenty-five teams lost this weekend. Uh, it's going to be a crazy November third. That Saturday is a big one in college football. Obviously, Bama, LSU, Texas, West Virginia. It's going to be a big day. Uh, let's give out these hundred-dollar handshakes. I'll let you guys handle most of this. Melo, who you got? I'm going with a very unknown player, but for a big reason. Matt Colburn out of Wake. I don't know if you guys watched this game. He played against Louisville this weekend. He went off for 243 yards and three touchdowns. The reason why it is a story, though, wasn't even the way he played on the field. This guy was a Louisville commit in the year 2015. 48 hours before signing day, 
Louisville pulled his scholarship oh. and said, nope, actually, we're good. We're going to give it to somebody else. <laughs> well, guess what? Dude went off against Louisville this year, 243 love, yards. Love those stories. Yeah. Jesus, Shove amazing. that scholarship up your ass. I'll go to Wake. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, speaking of another guy that was counted out at one point, my first $100 handshake goes to Eric Dungy, uh, Syracuse quarterback. I know it's not often that a Syracuse quarterback makes it on the $100 handshake list. All week, we were wondering if Dungy was going to be benched for Tommy DeVito. With good reason. DeVito's got a great arm. He's Baber's guy. He's been impressive when he plays. Dungy comes out against an NC State team, not benched, gets the start. 27 of 38, over 400 yards passing, three touchdowns, no picks, and a rushing touchdown. That's how you go out and make a statement and say, this is my job until I'm ready to leave. Yeah, we talked about that on the Friday show. We didn't know who to pick in this game because of the quarterback controversy. So uh, my first one's going to go to a guy I heard Connor mention on his Instagram live, Gardner Minshew, Washington State quarterback. I will just go full throttle and say I don't believe this guy is a premium quarterback prospect, but is playing as one of the best quarterbacks in college right now. We have 40 of 50 for 438 and three touchdowns against Stanford. I think he started 16 of 16 as they got behind. He just kept going. So I think he's probably a day three type draft prospect, but as a college quarterback, he looks very good. Well, in that system, anytime you spread it out like that and you throw the ball 50 times a game, you're going to get yards and you're going to get touchdowns, but he is doing it very efficiently. I'll give him credit for that. And he is also rocking one sweet soul patch and mustache. Like I'm on board for that one. <laughs> It's like me oh, and my God. Halloween costume. Yeah, next guy for me, Connor kind of talked about this game too. Houston versus UCF, or sorry, USF. Derek King, their quarterback for Houston, went off 419 yards passing and five touchdowns. Also added 132 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. That's seven total touchdowns against Jesus a ranked Christ. opponent. So dude just went crazy. Looked like Lamar Jackson out there. Uh, my next one is T. Higgins, Clemson wide receiver. This guy was big time as a recruit, and he's come in as an underclassman and really performed right away. We got to see a little bit of him last year with the two touchdowns, about 350 yards as a freshman, a true freshman. This year in his sophomore season, he hasn't always had the help, right? When you look at Kelly Bryant and then a true freshman, Trevor Lawrence, he goes out and makes plays for his quarterback. I mean, he's already got six touchdowns this year, and it's the way he's playing on the film it's the drawing the pass interference calls it's going up climbing the ladder over defenders and making a play for his quarterback time and time again t higgins might not finish the year with a thousand yards he's gonna finish with double digit touchdowns i think we're gonna be talking about this guy so much next summer as a potential top wide receiver prospect for the 2020 class because he's doing it against top competition and he's doing it at a very young age. It's been awesome to watch. Yeah. And you know, Connor, I've talked about him where the Clemson staff has told me like, this is the next guy for us. Who's going to be a first rounder. Uh, it hurts me to do this um, a lot, but my next $200 handshakes have to go to a couple of Oklahoma state players. And this sucks so much, but here goes quarterback Taylor Cornelius accounted for five touchdowns, two on the ground, three through the air tore Texas up. I mean, they had no answer for this guy and they absolutely had no answer for his wide receiver, Tylen Wallace playing a lot in the slot. He just, I mean, he went off whether it was Chris Boyd, anybody, Brandon Jones, whoever was locked up against him, couldn't stop him. 10 catches, 222 yards and two touchdowns. Most of that came in the first half. And then this game was just out of hand. Texas was trying to play catch up all day, but hats off to those guys from Oklahoma state. I hate it. 
Well, yeah, especially their, their quarterback. You love great. to see it. He's a fifth-year guy, and he started as a walk-on. So to be there in the program and then finally get your shot this year and, and to have a big game against a big-time opponent like that, that is special for him. So he earns that $100 this week. I'm going with Josh Allen, not Matt's Josh Allen. I'm talking about the Kentucky <laughs> this Josh This one's Allen. also mine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Matt's Josh this Allen. One too, yeah. Well, he went off against Mizzou, being Missouri guys ourselves. It's kind of nice to see somebody have a dominant game against the Mizzou Tigers like this because you have to hear all of their fans talk about it. He had 11 tackles, two sacks, and also forced two fumbles on those sacks. He was one of the main reasons Drew Locke could not do anything. He felt pressure all day, and I think Josh Allen just got in his head, and he wasn't able to do anything with the football. I I mean, so often I am a big proponent of leave school early, go get your money. Josh Allen made a very, very professional decision by going back to school as a senior, developing his craft as a really rounded-out pass rusher, and locking himself into this year's first round. So tip of the cap to Kentucky's Josh Allen, my favorite Josh Allen. Very happy (laughs) to see him do that. Uh, My last $100 handshake, somebody that we're going to be talking about in the pass rush class, not this year, maybe two years from now, Yitor Gross Matos on Penn State. He did get hurt, but he had two sacks and a ton of tackles before that. 6'5", 265. He was born in New Jersey, so a little bias there. <laughs> this guy is awesome. I mean, he is a absolute wrecking ball. He wreaks havoc. He makes plays. Penn State's got some serious players on defense. You want one to watch for the next couple of years, this is the guy. I love when in the rundown you put in the pronunciation guide. And it's usually I, for dude, me. I have it's to. Like, he can't fucking say this guy's name. I mean, that one. That's th- tough. three words there. Yitor Gross Matos. I like it. I had to watch like three YouTube videos <laughs> to make sure they didn't fuck it up. All right. It's time to debut a new segment, a little sad, a little farewell, sing goodbye. We're going to say goodbye to some college football teams as they either drop out of the playoff race or didn't meet expectations, but we want to lift you up. College football fans. We want to tell you what you have to be excited about going forward into next year. I'm going to say goodbye to Oregon. This week, a horrible loss to Arizona. If you're a Ducks fan right now, you're probably very upset. You might not be listening to this show because you don't want to be reminded of college football or Justin Herbert right now, but I'm here to give you hope. Maybe Justin Herbert doesn't declare. Maybe his brother Patrick comes in four star tight end plays right away and the Herbert connection can help them compete in the Pac-12 next year. I know this isn't the most talented Oregon team ever they've had a lot of turnover with the coaching staff over the years but if your quarterback does come back and i mean you look at the pac-12 right now obviously washington they're always going to be right in it of course but usc and ucla ain't shit right now (laughs) and that's a change you can really be in the driver's seat next year if you get this thing right you get this coaching staff going and you get to keep your quarterback i know we were kind of hard on him as a pro in the last segment but when it comes down to it, this is a good college player. I have faith in Oregon next year in the Pac-12. So it, don't be all doom and gloom. Yeah, you got your ass beat by Arizona, but there's still some hope soon. I'm with you, too. If they bring back Herbert, who maybe hate him or love him as a pro prospect, whatever, he's still probably the best quarterback in the Pac-12 right now. So if you can bring him back as a senior, I think you're setting yourself up very nicely if you're an Oregon fan. Well, and for Oregon, you got to get Dylan Mitchell, the wide receiver, to come back number 13. He's Herbert's favorite target. He's a true junior, so you got to get him back. But this is a still a, an offensive line that's dominated by juniors. So hopefully you get a, a starting five coming back on the O-line that's all seniors. And it's a young defense as well. I mean, other than uh, Jalen Jelks, who's a redshirt senior defensive end, 
you're probably bringing back most of this defense. So they should be an experienced team next year that hopefully that will help pay off for them. Yeah, and for me, the team I'm going to say goodbye to this week is one of my favorite teams all year long. I've been talking about them, but you just can't lose three games in the Big Ten, and you can't lose to Northwestern. So I am going to say goodbye to Wisconsin, even though I really don't want to. I'm not even really prepared for it. It's kind of a sad moment. But you do still have one of the best running backs you've ever had in Jonathan Taylor. You have him coming back. Alex Hornibrick. I think you saw Saturday that he is actually a pretty damn valuable quarterback. He makes some weird throws and some weird reads, but he doesn't weird. he doesn't lose you games that often. Yeah, it's so, happened, but and he comes back as a junior. This offensive line is always going to be talented, and they may even get some of these guys convinced to come back because they're not all seniors. So you have a lot going forward. You lost a lot off the defense last year, and you're going to have to replace some guys, but there's still enough talent on that team that you can win the Big Ten West next year. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to agree with you completely because you have Jonathan Taylor coming back, and we thought he, this would be his Heisman year, but then Tua went off and is playing like fucking Michael Vick and some early editions of Madden, and no one's stopping him. So next year, Jonathan Taylor will be your Heisman year. Their offensive line, bringing a lot of guys back. I, I think that's going to be a very good team. I am sadly going to say goodbye to our Texas Longhorns losing their second game, their first in conference. So they still have a shot at a big 12 championship, but this team ain't, ain't making that playoff run that we for a week or two thought maybe once they beat Oklahoma, like, Oh man, maybe this will happen. Too many things fell apart. The biggest recruiting job that I think Tom Herman and his staff have to do is convincing Colin Johnson to return to, to Austin for one more year. Number nine, the big wide receiver. And unfortunately, we saw against Oklahoma State, they tried to run the entire offense through this guy, but he is a playmaker. I mean, he's like the Calvin Johnson of the Big 12, unstoppable over the top. If you bring him back with Sam Ellinger going into his junior year, there's a lot of turnover coming on defense, but they've recruited for that spot. So next year, it's all about Colin Johnson and Sam Ellinger. Well, and if they get Humphrey back too, who over the summer, maybe we talked a little bit of shit on him and like, I don't know why NFL teams are looking at this guy yet. Well, now I see. Now we get it. Yeah. He is a very big, good athlete. And if they can get both of those guys to come back, which I think they should go back because I don't think they're round one talent. I don't even know if they're really round two in this class. Uh, so go ahead, do me a favor, go back to Texas. You get Keontae Ingram in the backfield. He's a guy that they heard, they were talking about all day on Saturday that he's going to be special. And we didn't really get to see him do much on Saturday. But if he can come and return with Sam Ellinger as a junior, get Caden Stearns there on defense and all those young guys that you recruited, Texas, I think, will be officially back next year. Yeah, get my boy B.J. Foster playing safety with Caden Stearns, please. Yeah, I was going to say, what are you guys most excited for as Texas fans next year? And what's your biggest concern right now in the Herman era? My biggest concern is that those receivers will leave a year too early. And then you're going to look at, you know, you have nobody behind them. I mean, like they, they've recruited well. There's obviously five, four and three star players who could come in. But I, I think that's one of the biggest things is if you lose them, what's your identity identity on offense. So uh, that's probably the biggest thing. And then the offensive line is going to take a hit. Uh, Calvin Anderson's a graduate senior. Patrick Valle is a senior. Um, Elijah Rodriguez is a, a senior. So they're going to lose a lot up front. I think that could hurt too. In the defensive line, too, you lose a guy like Brecken Hager, who is a senior. Uh, he's yeah. the captain of that team. I know he kind of made a dumb play at the end of the game, but 
he has been the guy who's, I think, rallied this team around Texas and Tom Herman. He's the heart of that team. Because you can tell, like, Chris Boyd, Devontae Davis, maybe still not completely bought in like a guy like Brecken Hager is. And he got his troops rallied together, and he's the main reason why they are performing the way they are. But I'm most excited to see the young secondary. Like, Year two of Caden Stearns. Yeah. Uh, I'm BJ Foster starting. And I like Brandon Jones is a fine player. I've heard he's probably going to go early and enter the NFL draft. So seeing BJ Foster, I mean, getting guys like Anthony Cook in at corner, uh, Kobe Boyce at the other corner spot. These are freshmen that we were all really excited about in that recruiting class. So just getting some young, fast athletes on defense that guys that are going to be, like Melo said, bought in and a little bit hungrier than what we see out there right now. What's your guys' confidence level of winning the Big 12 if Lincoln Riley jumps to the NFL? Great. If he jumps to the, yeah. yeah, Great. What, I, what is your confidence level of winning the AFC East if he's your head coach next year? Uh, <laughs> man, uh, can we find some players first yeah. to put around Sam Darnold? But in all honesty, I don't think Lincoln Riley would consider coming to the Jets, but I'd feel very good about the future if he did. I New England at some point, has to end the Belichick Brady era. Like it, it feels like it's going to go on forever, but by actual human science, they have to eventually <laughs> stop playing and coaching football. I mean, the dolphins and the bills do not scare a soul. So Lincoln Riley doors open, hang out in Hoboken, coach the jets win the AFC East. All right, let's close this baby out. Like we do every week. It's your draft on draft questions, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, however you want to send them. Mail. Just, just not in the mail anymore. Let's not yeah, do that's that. A, that's a it's a bad timing a, for that. We're no not doing go. mail. Yeah, um, yeah. Wedding invitations, you can still send those in the mail. Thank you for doing save that. Save the dates. Yeah, save the date. Baby announcements. Uh, beer. Still send beer. Well, we do baby announcements on the show. You don't need to mail those to us. Just that's tell true. us when to announce them and we'll do it. All right, first question from Connor McQuestion. Uh, for Draft on Draft for Monday show, what is Chase Winovich's stock looking like? has going back to school and dominating at times helped him. This is Michigan defensive end Chase Winovich. Yeah, and I really like him. I liked him coming into the year. And I think going back to school for him, I don't know if it was ever really in question because I don't think his stock was that high last year. But he did make a great decision to come back to school because he has definitely helped his stock this year, especially when Gary went out with that injury. You saw him still able to perform. You noticed that it wasn't just Gary's getting all this attention, so Winovich is able to do some things. He's able to do some things no matter who's on the field with him. I love him. I just question that athletic ability. Like, where is he going to fit in? Can he be a stand-up rusher, or does he need to gain 20 pounds and be like a true interior defensive lineman? Yeah, he's like the anti-Gary, where it's like he's not athletic. Gary's an absolute freak, but he's always on the field, it seems like. He's always making plays. He, I mean... Uh, not to call Gary's not necessarily a guy that his motor doesn't run hot, but Winovich is just nonstop all the time. He's per- all the time. He's super productive. He's an absolute dog. So I think, and, and Gary deserves the hype because there's such a raw product there of a player that can actually be special. It just hasn't gotten there yet, but it has overshadowed Winovich for how productive and solid and reliable of a starter. He's been up front for Michigan. So I look at him. He's not going to be a first round guy. He might not go in the top 50, if I was betting on a guy that will be selected outside the top 50, that will be a successful, average, reliable NFL starter, I'm just not going to bet against him anymore because he he plays in the Big Ten. He's not just beating up on chumps, and you love his attitude and the leadership. 
I, I do think he did a really smart move by going back to Michigan. That defense looks really good. They're ranked very highly, obviously. He's finally getting some national spotlight. He reminds me a lot of a guy that Texas had a long time ago, Brian Robinson, who was not a great athlete. He kind of was overlooked on that defensive line because other guys that were there, but he played in the NFL for like 10 to 12 years. And I think Winovich could do the same thing. Just a, a guy that goes under the radar for a long time, but has a very, very solid NFL career. Well, and I was going to say that he reminds me of Sam Hubbard, who is uh, a third round pick or, yeah, third round pick, I think, last yeah. year. Um, but uh, again, a big defensive end who is not going to maybe test exceptionally well. My favorite Chase Winovich nugget is that he actually won the Blue Collar Award. Like when you think oh, of a white, shocking. A white long-haired defensive end, he won the Blue Collar Award. <laughs> Was Brecken Hager not eligible for <laughs> it's it? It's a Michigan <laughs> thing. So, okay, well, yeah. between the two of them, yeah. I love both of them, and I want some of that hair whenever they do cut it off. They'll probably both be Patriots. Uh, all right. Next question from Sky. How do you guys place prospects on your overall big board? What distinguishes the guys you have later on the board? I myself I just, never yeah. made a big board, so <laughs> I'm not there yet. I can't wait for you to do one. Connor, go ahead. I know we have a very similar process. Yeah, there's just so many different things. If you want to fall down the big board, I mean, character, we talk about it all the time, off-field. Being unathletic to me is a big one because – there's there's a threshold at certain positions like you can only do so much, whether it's uh, man, there's so many different things like wide receiver, for instance, you better be able to run really fast or separate by being a crafty route runner, because if you can't do either, why would you ever be open in the NFL? And in college, you, you might be schemed open often. You might be playing in a spread where you have more space to operate in. It's just it's different at the next level. And I think the pros has translated or transitioned a little more to more spread attacks. But the point still remains the same because of the speed of the game. So there's a lot of different thresholds for positions with quarterbacks. There is a threshold for arm talent. Like you look at a guy like Jake Browning at Washington, who has won a lot of football games. Jake Browning's not an NFL starter. He does not have the arm or physical ability. Trace McSorley, another guy that we get asked about all the time, uh, you know, answered recently on an Instagram live about him. Yeah, he might get drafted in the sixth or seventh round. He might have a really nice senior bowl. He might be developed as a backup, but there is a threshold as an every down NFL starter that you have to meet. And that's why people laugh at the combine. They call it the underwear Olympics. You can learn a lot about a guy because you have the film in front of you. That's the eye test. And it's, you know, you can grade off of that. The combine is a very strict yes or no. And how elite is this guy on athleticism? So there's so many factors to stacking a big board, but I think it comes down to character, athleticism, and film. Yeah, and for me, like, uh, I'll, I'll take that answer in a different direction. Right now, you know, I have a big board with around 150 players in it, and it's just my, like, I think this guy's better than this guy from what I've seen. And as we get throughout the process, that will shift and change, and guys move up and move down. But in probably, what, February, mellow. We will sit down and start putting number grades on players. And at the end of the day, it's as simple as in a Google sheet, sorting all the 400 or so players we will rank from top to bottom. And that's that's the big board that gets published in April and is the final one. If we put a grade on a guy based on what round we believe he should be selected in when you factor in athleticism, production, character, injury, history, all the different things. Uh, that go into player evaluation, 
and then that's that's the board. You know, Saquon Barkley's the 9.0. He's the best player in the draft. Or, you know, Trace McSorley's a 5.0. He's player 300, whatever it might be. So that's how the, the actual big board that you guys see us publish in April when it's draft week. That's where all that comes from. All right, next question from Wyatt. Who would you guys pick between Grant Delpit, Deontay Thompson, Malik Hooker, or Jamal Adams as the best prospect? That... That's a tough. That's really hard. Really hard question. That's four of the better safeties that we've seen in the last couple drafts here. I'm going to go with probably Malik Hooker just because the range that he has at safety was some of the best I've ever seen ever. And I, I haven't kept up with how he's doing so far this year with the Colts. But what he was able to do at Ohio State was spectacular. Yeah, he has one pick this year. He got hurt last year. He had three before he got hurt. Uh, I, I would, man. I don't know. Can I take uh can I take Caden Stearns? I don't know. Uh, I was gonna ask, do you want to uh, put Stearns in this conversation? I don't know that he's on that yet. level yet. yet. I think next year he'll join the conversation, honestly. Uh, but I don't I don't think he's there yet. I will yet. say, like Melo said, as prospects with with no you know hindsight involved, Malik Hooker would be the top graded one just because of his range. I heard stories about he had like 40 picks on the practice squad as a freshman at Ohio state, like 40 picks running scout team. That shit doesn't happen. I love Jamal, like the character and what he brings from a leadership and culture perspective. Hey, he's not a coverage safety. And like Deontay Thompson is an over the top coverage safety. Grant Delp is just a freak. So if you're asking like from a grade perspective, I don't see any of those guys being higher than where I have Malik Hooker as just a purely greater prospect. Yeah. And if you look at Jamal Adams too, like, I'm not trying to hate on him at all. I think what the Jets did, and they knew they needed some leadership on that defense, and they needed some character guys, and they went out and got the best one out of that class. And it just so happens that, yeah, he feels a need on your defense too. Great leader, though. Great character guy. Also great on the football field. Now, I need to correct, yeah, I, I need to correct myself I, before I let Connor go because I know someone <laughs> will jump on me. I didn't realize this. I had Jamal Adams and Lake Hooker the exact same grade. They were tied on my board. So before freezing cold takes gets me, Fuck you guys. I corrected myself. Sorry, Screenshot Connor, here. <laughs> it's all right. Man, this is tough. I, I'll break it down like this. I think Adams is the safest of the four. I just think the floor is so high with this guy, and he's already been great for the Jays. He's playing at a Pro Bowl level this year. But if I have to pick out of the four, I'm going to take Grant Delpit. I think he does everything. I think he can cover over the top. I think he has ball skills. He plays in the box. He can rush the passer. He could stop the run. He's a leader. You talk to anyone at LSU, they think he's the best player on the team, and it's not even close. And on the film, I completely agree. This guy caught my eye during his freshman season. He's been an absolute star this year. I, I love the upside in coverage of Deontay Thompson. I loved Malik Hooker, and I loved Jamal Adams. These are like these are my favorite players. It's like at safety ever, and then you put Marcus May in there somewhere too. But I think Delpit's going to be the best out of all of them. I think he's an absolute superstar, and I think he's a future top 10 pick. We've been very spoiled with the safeties in the last couple drafts. Because well, like, we didn't even talk about Minka or Dor- say, Derwin James. There's like a couple guys we're not even talking about who are pretty damn good. And I think Minka deserves to be in the conversation there. And Derwin James has been great for the Chargers this year. Uh, Patrick Watton wants to know, where do we see Iowa's tight end, Noah Fant, being drafted? Both tight ends. Yeah, but they, both. Yeah, my bad. I yeah, I misread that. So I have Noah Fant in the top fifteen. 
I think he's phenomenal. I, I think he's Same. special too. And I think Connor, it was even you that I saw on Twitter talking about, you know, like we have not seen a tight end prospect like this in years, Yeah, but he's able to do everything on the field. He can hit the seam. He plays for Iowa. So, you know, he can do a little bit of blocking at least. I think he's going to be the first true tight end in the first round that we've had in a long time. Yeah, I, I think he's, man, I think he's way better uh, of a receiver than Evan Ingram was coming yes. out. I don't think it's close. He's not the blocker O.J. Howard was, but I think he has even more upside as a pass catcher. Man, they don't even just have him stretch at the seam. They play him legitimately a wide receiver at yeah. times, and he doesn't look out of place. That's the thing. Like, he's too fast for a linebacker, and he's too big for a corner. So how do you cover this guy? And it's Iowa, so he's underutilized. I mean, when you look at fan. He's eighth on my board right now, which I don't even really like stacking tight ends that high ever because I just the value is so diminished at times. Fant is the exception to the rule where I've been so impressed with him and even for his size where he probably plays at around 6'4", 245, super, super high effort blocker. So and he's just been a lot of fun to watch. I think when you look at Iowa, they have two tight ends. I haven't gotten a scene. I think it's Hawkinson. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've seen. He's a redshirt yeah. sophomore, so exactly. I mean, I've seen him in the games make plays and and do everything, but I just haven't watched his film. Like last summer, Fant was the guy you had to watch the film because you knew he was going to be in the first round conversation this year. Yeah, their other tight end. He just maybe next year he's a guy that we yeah. really look at. I don't think he comes out this year. Uh, there, I don't think Fant is even questioning whether he's coming out or not. That dude's good as gone. Yeah. He was way too pissed off yesterday. Show he has a forty-two inch vert. No, a fan does, which is unfair to be 6'5", 240, and have a 42-inch vert. Yeah, uh, He's going to go very, very early in the draft, probably a top 15 pick. Like Connor said, we both have him ranked very, very highly. All right, the next question from Jordan Polakowski. I asked this before the season started, if James Connor could replace Le'Veon Bell. Has your opinion changed on Connor going forward? Man, after this weekend... You look at what J- James Conner doesn't even look out of place anymore. It's catching the ball. It's running physically. It's being a workhorse back great in the red zone. The Steelers probably can't wait to find a way to get Le'Veon Bell out of the organization, which is crazy for how talented he is. Yeah. But this team, this team plugs in place, replaces skill players better than any franchise. I think I've ever yeah. seen. And I'm, I'm with you too, Connor. I don't think they give a shit whether Le'Veon <laughs> Bell comes back this year or not. They're very satisfied with what they have at running back, and he doesn't want $14 million a year. So just go ahead, try to trade Le'Veon, get him out of there, or just cut him loose. Let the dude walk because you have something pretty damn good with James Connor, and he's a Pittsburgh guy. You just you love the story and how his teammates have rallied around him and supported him as the starting running back. Like that's good for your locker room. Le'Veon Bell, never going to see the ball again as a Steeler. Well, and I think, one, it's very important to talk about with James Conner. When we were asked that question before the year, we were judging him based on who he was as a rookie. And who we saw then is not who we're seeing now. James Conner ran a 4.65 at the Combine. He weighed 233 pounds. He is not that anymore. He's probably 220, 225, and is a different body composition. He's much quicker. He showed improved hands out in the in the flats. And so he has become a lot of what Le'Veon Bell was. And Melo, I'm so glad you said it this way. He's getting paid like a rookie. Uh, you, know, you got two more years of this dude making peanuts. And you have Le'Veon Bell out there wanting $14 million and most of it guaranteed when you have James Conner making, what, as a rookie, he's probably making 500000 
You know, I mean, it's $754,000 this year. Yeah, okay, I want that. Yeah, I'll take that with I'll build some production. That because guess who else we got to pay other fucking guys on this team too. So it's no question to me. He is the future of the offense, really. Not just the running back position, but that whole offense. And good for him. When you look at it, everybody kind of, and we're guilty of it, slept. This is a guy that won ACC Player of the Year and then came back from cancer as a professional running back. It's unbelievable when you see how he kind of was doubted for a little bit because replacing the best probably running back in the NFL is not easy for anyone. And for Connor, he's been the least of their problems in Pittsburgh. There's never a week where he sat there and he said, damn, I really wish we had Le'Veon Bell back. It's been, no, we're doing just fine with James Connor. We need some pieces on defense, especially at corner. So tip of the cap to him. Talk about taking opportunities and just literally running away with them. And I really wish that you had led that question with what you said when we were on a break of, hey, let me take us back from break because Matt's going to fuck this guy's name up. It definitely (laughs) would have, though. (laughs) I already can't talk. You know I can't read any name that's not just, like, straight Americanized. John Smith. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. All right, well, I'll I'll do this one for you then. (laughs) Jer Schmidt, (laughs) as a defender, would you rather get hurdled over? I love these questions when people are like, would you guys rather get kicked in the nuts or punched in the nose? Uh, as a defender, would you? Ra- this would be a great show segment for Stick to the Ball. Would you, would you rather? rather get hurtled yeah. over or stiff arm to the ground and have the offensive player score? Yeah, I, I mean, guess. both of them I jumped suck. over. Yeah, I'm going to go with you, though. Uh, being hurtled over, you can at least come to the sideline and be like, oh, I tried to go too low. Like, what are you going to do? Low man wins yeah. and I tried to go too low. Yeah, if you get nobody wants to get Chris Conti exactly as I said, if you get bitch slapped like Chris Conti did and just put on the ground, uh, yeah, that you're getting on sports and like Cream Hunt's also, jumping over dudes, and you're like, oh well, it happens. Yeah, what are you gonna do? I have a, a take, a take about that. It is so unfair how offensive players can just maul you in the face mask, but if a defender uh-huh. raises the ball carrier's face mask, it's like a 15 yard penalty. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not, not it's fair. bullshit. It's such bullshit. I would definitely but yeah, I'd rather, rather be hurled over. Though. Yeah. One of the best stiff arms I've ever seen was the running back at Florida State. Greg Jones was his name. Oh, God. And he played fullback oh, for the Jaguars for a little bit. But he stiff armed a North Carolina defender and just Dexter laid Reed. him out. I mean, yeah. actually, like, punched him in the face. You can see him rare back. If you haven't seen it, just Google Greg Jones stiff arm. It's probably going to come I mean, up. He, does, like, he sees him coming and just hesitates. And Loads boom. up. Muhammad Ali, Mike Tyson, just <laughs> right to the mouth. I need that video with Mama said knock you out running under it. Something. Somebody, Dude, he had the, somebody could do it. He had the biggest arms in the NFL. Oh, yeah. he was and it a wasn't monster. even close. Yeah, he knocks Dude, the poor dude's oh. helmet off. He stiff arms him so hard. Yeah, no flags on oh, that one either. God. Those were the good days of football. All right, keep it going, Connor, because I can't say this guy's name either. Uh, all right, Wes Schweer. I think I got that one right. Which Gruden had... This is a crazy question because it's it seems insane, but it's not. Which Gruden has a better coaching career when all is said and done. Oh, my God. Well, it's going to be John because he already has a Super Bowl ring. That's the, right, that's where right. it becomes tricky. But, like, I, John can really do some damage to his resume these next five years <laughs> before he gets fired. Well, I, I mean, mean, yeah. I think Jay's done. Or, or, I mean, uh, well, barring a run this year. But they're leading a shitty division. That's true. Like, yeah. that division stinks. Where it's like, uh, yeah, I'm with you. That Jay's not a great coach. It's John's got a Super Bowl, and 
we can make him into a running joke in this era, and maybe he turns it around and we become the running joke. But like, man, I'd, I'd be uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's 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 shouldn't be this close. Is the point? This should not be. <laughs> this shouldn't be up for debate, and it is a little bit. Yeah, he's really hurting himself with everything that's going on with the Raiders. Like, I I know you have three first-round picks, but, man, you probably did it a year early. So good luck next year if you're a Raiders fan. I, maybe they will trade these three first-rounders in 2019 for, like, six first-rounders in 2020. We've, I've done it in Madden. Like, all three of us have been talking about, like, I don't want to get too far ahead, but that fucking 2020 class oh my God. is going to be insane. Like, Cam Akers is a guy that we loved over the offseason. He's like a third or fourth round running back yeah. in that class now, probably. He's stuck in that shithole team the, right the now. The quarterbacks, and then you have Chase Young at Ohio State, Grant Delpit. Like, 2020 yeah. is going to be... Any general manager is listening to this, let us tell you. you just we, tank for that class. You want 2020 picks. People get so pissed, too, because they're always like, you guys say this every year, wait for next year. But, like, no. <laughs> that class, Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, yes. uh, Chanel at Colorado. Yeah. Like, it's in, the wide receiver class is insane. Let me tell the you. running backs, every team could get a starter. Yeah. Every single Go team. Go back and listen to this podcast a year ago. We were not saying the 2019 draft was going to be good outside of the D-line. Yeah, D-line is very special. Yeah. A lot of depth there, but, God, that 2020 class has everything you need. And speaking of, our last question from H underscore Gascone 54. Should Justin Field start soon at Georgia? And I no. put this one in here because I'm so tired of hearing about I don't about even it. know. Why would you say that? What the hell has he done that is so special that people are like, oh, we maybe we should binge Did from. you watch Jake Fromm? play yesterday just dropping dimes over a very Georgia, good defense beating florida like i mean he threw for three touchdowns he had one bad game this year and right? all all of his touchdowns were amazing throws yeah. like, with pinpoint accuracy so i know that he played shitty against lsu who has one of the best defenses in the nation this year but justin fields he's played in every game except for this weekend he hasn't done anything to take that job away or to earn snaps from from Fromm is special. Justin Fields may get on the field and do something, but for right now, they're going to roll with Jake Fromm. I mean, it comes down to this, too. If you bench Jake Fromm, and he's not a, a dumb guy, he's probably heard the buzz, there's people in the league that believe Jake Fromm has first-round quarterback potential. If you bench Jake Fromm, and Justin Fields is going to be great. I can't wait for the Justin Fields era. He's talented. He's everything you want in a quarterback in college. But if you bench from, he's going to leave. And he should. Why would you stay? This guy has won so many games at Georgia. And I'm not going to sit here and say he's the most physically gifted player of all time or this and that. But God, it is wild to... You know how many teams in college football would get on their hands and knees and pray to have a Jake Fromm right now? If Jake Fromm was on LSU, they actually oh might cover God. the 14 and a half spread against Alabama. That's the difference. I in think this. there's... Two teams that wouldn't want Jake from Alabama and Ohio State. Even the, yeah, like even Ohio, Ohio State, State might. <laughs> like it's really just Alabama, maybe Oklahoma. Yeah. I don't know. Well, Kyler Murray's gone after this year, so you, you can make it's, an argument there. Yeah. Oh man, I'm. It's crazy that this got me to defend Jake Fromm because I'm not like a <laughs> diehard Jake Fromm like fan, but I think he's really good for Georgia, and I think he deserves a little. Man, put some respect on Jake Fromm's name. Oh, my God, dude. It's wild to me. I just, 
most... I, I, now I'm gonna root actively for Jake Fromm. Yeah, that's what I'm gonna do. You know how it is. So. Most popular guy on the team is the backup quarterback. So it always is, man. Yeah. It always is. Which that's... is why that's my dream job to be a backup. Yeah, quarterback. just like everybody loves the coordinators to be the head coach <laughs> yeah. when the head coach yeah. stinks. It's like, yeah, we'll just bump this guy up and that'll fix the fact that our team sucks. Right. It's. I get it though. Everyone's looking for hope in life. It makes sense. I'm a Jets, Mets, Knicks, Rangers fan, so I know more, that more than anyone. Hey, you have an you have an agent as your general manager for the Mets now. That'll work out great. Uh, yeah, good, brilliant move. And yeah. I know everyone's like, "Oh, the Lakers did it." The New York Mets are not the LA Lakers. Okay, we are not in that conversation of being that kind of brand. So here we go. Can't wait to be mis- be miserable again. Oh, Connor's gonna go drink. Mello and I are gonna go watch a movie. Uh, thanks for hanging up or hanging out. Jesus, thanks for hanging up. Thanks for hanging out with us, putting up with my voice. Connor and I will be back Wednesday morning. A lot of NFL trade deadline talk uh, as we get to that point, and then Mello and I Friday morning. You know that's gonna be a fun show. Previewing so, a great weekend of football. Oh my this god, week. can't wait. All right, that's our show. Thanks for following. We will talk to you Wednesday morning.